So if you got the email from uh, our announcement, our, our admin team, you've noticed that the email said that we're going to go over First Chronicles. And if you've actually read First Chronicles this week by any chance, you'll realize that this is another list of names. You know, Pastor Henry's going through numbers. Are we going through First Chronicles? What's up with all these names and numbers? Why is SFBC going through this? Uh, I just want to you know, relieve your stress and that we're not actually going to go through First Chronicles. That's just like a placeholder that I wanted to keep there because I wanted to keep this next series kind of close to my chest for a few reasons. And one of which is that if you guys know what the series is, some people might be overly excited and then you know, go to church for the wrong motives. And others might know about this topic and, and want to have nothing to do with our church anymore. It's like, oh, this is awkward. I'm not going to come back for several months. The topic that we're actually going to go over for the next four months or so, it's a topic that I have this love-hate relationship with because it's something that I know it's, uh, something's in a, it's in, in a lot of your minds um, and, it's, and it's probably the second most commonly asked question I get in a college and career setting. And it's the topic on dating. Um, so you see why it's like you guys are really looking around it's like it's there's a reason why I kind of kept it close it's because it is a topic that I think people really are intrigued by for some and some people are horrified by it because it seems very strange like, I don't want it. it's an awkward topic and it is a awkward talk topic and initially just kind of like a little background first of all your parents did not tell email me say hey can you do this dating series no, I, this is something I thought about almost a year ago. I was going to do this after the book of Proverbs, um, if you guys remember that. Uh, but, you know, because of the pandemic and everything, we, you know, most of you guys are sheltered in place and it's hard to date anyway. So I was like, okay, maybe we'll just delay this series for a year. And it definitely is, this, uh, is an interesting topic, and I think it's good for a group like this to at least go over it once in a while, you know, once every few years or so. Uh, I remember when I was in college, when I was a freshman in college, or maybe I was sophomore, I don't remember what year I was, um, but I, you know, at Grace Church we had a dating series as well, and I, I felt that that series was very informative in terms of giving me the tools and, and what I need to think ahead. Um, and I, I think that's what's good about the church, is that you know, we should be willing and able to talk about any topic as long as it's driven from the, from the text, or if not then we should at least draw biblical principles on how we think through this topic. Now, my goal in this is not for you guys to all get married and go to blueprints. If that is by God's will, that's great, but that's not the case. You know, I understand that some of you guys might have the gift of singleness. Some of you guys uh, want to get married. and I, you know, It's not for me to say, like, okay, you're one or the other. Rather, I'd rather teach you what the Bible has to say and you figure that out on your own. Now, just a little bit, just again, a little bit more background on the series. And this really, this, this talk that we're going to have tonight, it's, it's more of an, it is an introduction. So we're not going to dive into any particular text, but rather we're going to just kind of do surveys throughout the Bible. But there is a book that I handed out to some of our teachers uh, that's, that's going to be based, that the word the series is going to be based off of, is this book right here. It's called Letters to a Romantic on Dating. And uh, I, I, I got this book because Roger recommended, he, this is from I mean, people that are into biblical counseling, and I find this book to be very informative in terms of the, the broad topics. In fact, if you 
Uh, you know how there's some movies that are like inspired by the book? Well, that's what this series is. Some of the topics are actually from, or outlines are actually from this book, and others are things that I decided to add in because I felt that would be helpful uh, to just talk about other things as well. So that's this book here. The other book that, it's, uh, that I think I find to be helpful, not just in terms of the realm of dating, but just contentment uh, in general, is this, this, is one of my, this is probably right now my favorite Puritan book. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. This is a book that I wish that um, I, I read when I was in high school, because if I read in high school, I wouldn't be discontent on, oh, why, isn't, why doesn't anyone go out with me in prom, or oh, how come that person uh, is dating that person, not me, or why can't I go to that good college, or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. I wish I read this book as a young, younger Christian, because then I would have been content. Same along the way, if I was in college and I read this book, it would have been different. And even when I was in seminary, I wish I read this. But I read this as a, you know, as like a year or two ago. And it's definitely uh, convicted me in terms of areas of my own heart, uh, in terms of why I am discontent or why we are prone to discontentment. So this is, a, this is The Rare Jewel, of Christ, uh, Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Um, this is a Puritan paperback. This one here is about like $9, so it's, it's a good book. Uh, but this is a newer copy, but the copy I had before had basically almost every other sentence. It was just like convicted, 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 because it's really um, heart-piercing. This is a Puritan, guys. This is before all the biblical counseling stuff. He was already doing that before it was a popular thing. So that's the other book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. This is a, bo a book that I would recommend. So, um, so why a dating series? And you know, this, if you're new here, I'm so sorry. That's probably really awkward for you because, like, oh, I'm just visiting, and all of a sudden we're going to talk about dating. Uh, you're not going to leave here married, okay? So don't, you know, if that's your your expectation, like, cast that out of your mind. Um, and you know, this isn't usually what we what we do here on Friday. We usually do go through a book of the Bible. We kind of go through verse by verse. But again, I do feel that because this topic is probably in all of our minds, especially well. Not necessarily Kelly and mine or married people's mind, but definitely the college and career. Um, I, I feel that it's best for you guys to learn it from the Bible, and I'm and I'm also aware that this is a very sensitive and tricky topic, and it's because for some of you, you've you've been single for a very long time, you've been struggling with this, and sometimes a dating sermon or some sort of dating series or things that when people say like, oh, why aren't you dating can be not helpful, it could be hurtful instead. Um, so I'm gonna do my best to just make sure that here are just biblical principles for you to learn. This isn't things like, oh, I'm trying to make, again, my goal is not to get, is to make you married at, by the end of the series. That's not my hope, but rather to equip you so that at least you have more tools and things to think about if you do wanna pursue marriage. And uh, this is an awkward topic, it's difficult because all of you are in different life stages. Some of you are in your first year of college, some of you are in your last year, others are your beginning of your career, some are in your middle of your careers, and all of you are in different life stages, all of you have different backgrounds, all of you have different preferences, so it's very difficult to nail down exactly what works for one, because what works for one person may not work for another. So again, my hope in this is just to be as informative as possible, so just, we have just biblical principles to, to think through. And there are going to be things throughout this series and even the message today or the little talk we have today that may sound harsh. Um, 
But this is what the, the Proverbs tell us about having a good friend. Faithful are the wounds of the friend. You know, if there are things that I bring out that are heart-piercing, that are convicting, that's good because that's a way that the Lord is chipping away at you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, where it makes this parallel between it's better to be in a house of mourning and a house of laughter, one of the parallels or things that contrast, like it's better to be rebuked, better to have confrontation because that at least helps you to realize where your shortcomings are. So that's what the series is. Not intentionally trying to make you feel bad for being single or, or, or you know, make you feel bad in that sense, because that's what parents usually do. Parents are like, like, why aren't you there? Why, how come I don't have grandkids? You know, like that's the thing that parents will do. That's not my job. That's not what I want to do. My job as a pastor is just to, to, just to teach you what the Bible has to say in, in this area. Again, when it comes to dating, there's no simple answer to each and every single one of your circumstances. So that's why I want to be broad enough so that you can at least have tools to work with, but not so specific that it narrows you to like, okay, it has to be this one way, otherwise I'm not a faithful Christian. That's called being in a cult. Um, but if you're humble enough, you at least consider what is presented. So why dating series? I have 15 points that I thought. I initially had seven, then I had 12, then I went back to 11, then now I was working today and then I decided with 15. So it might change. I might delete some along the way. But the first reason why I want to do a dating series for this group in this particular time, first point, is that dating is awkward. Dating is awkward. And this is, again, this is probably one of the most asked questions or topics that discuss amongst you and even with me. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's things like, how can I get this person to notice me? How can I, how do I go about asking this person out? And it's an awkward topic because, again, there's, it's not a one-size-fit-all. There's no such thing as a cookie-cutter solution when it comes to dating. If you ask 10 different couples, they will all look different, uh, but they do have some similarities, and we'll hopefully touch on some of those similarities down the line. This topic is also awkward because how you go about dating is awkward. Uh, there's, there has to be some sort of humble acknowledgement that you, know, you acknowledge that, hey, I'm kind of interested in you. I want to get to know you more. So it goes from being just brothers and sisters in the faith to you know, husband and wife in the faith. And not only that, but you guys, again, have different preferences and backgrounds. So it makes it more complicated because you guys don't even know what the other person is. You may not even know what you want. But even though it is awkward dating or marriage, this is part of the normal part of life. God designed people so that some are called to a life of singleness and others are called to a life of marriage. And you need to decide and figure out which one you are in, this, in these two categories. Second reason, first reason is dating is awkward. Second reason is dating is awkward. <laughs> dating is awkward. But that doesn't mean that the Bible does not have guiding principles on how you're to interact with the opposite gender. Yes, it is true that the Bible doesn't speak about dating the way that we think, um, in fact, if you try to model some uh, your, your, I guess, your courtship or your dating after what some of the Old Testament characters are, it would be something like, I don't know, like Samson asking parents, hey, I want that lady, get her for me. Now, I think I, some of you might want that, and some of your parents might a wish that you ask them that, but that's not a normative, that's just a narrative. Um, when I went through the book of Judges, at the very end, the Benjamites just start kidnapping people. And I, and I told you guys, I made a vow with you guys, do not do that. Don't kidnap someone and make them your spouse and say, ha ha, look, here's my spouse. I got them from this other place from another church or something like that. That's a no-go. Or even like Ruth, right? You, I don't want you to sneak into some of the guys, 
at night and then you know, uncover their feet and say, marry me. That's, you know, this, that's, a, that's a narrative and not normative. Again, dating is different. It is awkward. And the Bible, but the Bible does give us principles. Second Peter chapter one, verse three reads this. It tells us that seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life of life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. This means that the Bible has everything that we need to live a life of godly, of godly living. The Bible tells us everything that we need to make godly decisions, and even in the realm of dating. Dating is awkward because people are awkward and people are also very complicated. Everything about dating is awkward because it ultimately involves two sinners. Hopefully this series will at least give you some or more tools to think through on how you can navigate through this biblically. So first two points is that dating is awkward. The third point is this, is to equip you. For the Christian, the best place to learn about worldview and every, I think at any topic, it should be in the church. Uh, you should have people in your life. If, if it's not taught behind the pulpit, then you should at least have people in your life, whether it is a brother or sister in the faith or a small group leader or a discipler that can actually go and teach you uh, or give you answers to these things. Um, when it comes to things like dating, there's no difference. If there's any place that is safe for you to learn truth, it should be the church. There should be no topic that's off limits because we have the answers to everything in life. And if it's not in the Bible, that means it's not important. It's you just, that means that you just need principles to make the final decision, right? Like the Bible doesn't tell you what college to go to, but it does tell you about how, uh, you know the priority of the church. So when you go to a, a new college or you move down for college, you at least have to have in your mind, okay, I want to be plugged into a church. That you have other people in your life, things like that. First uh, Timothy chapter three verse five uh, t- reminds us that. Sorry, the second Timothy. Second Timothy. Sorry, my reference here is wrong. Uh, when First Timothy tells us that the, the church is the pillar of truth, uh, it's a place where the knowledge of God is is held, and this is where um, that we're called at First Timothy chapter three verse fifteen. But in this case, I'm doing. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. So that's where we learn things. If this is the place where we learn truth, then that means that in the area of dating, there should be some truth that we need to operate by. And all of us need to grow in our knowledge and how to think and apply God's word in our daily life. Again, this isn't a judgment on all of you because even for me, I know as a husband and a father now that I need to continue to be equipped to be a better husband and a better father. And the same thing for you. You want to be equipped so that you know how to date in a way with intention in such a way that will glorify the Lord. And as a pastor, my hope is always to equip you so that you can know more about what the Bible has to say so that you can be mature in the faith. This is the job of the pastor in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, the building up of the body, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed in here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We need to know how to think. And as a, you know, when, you, when it comes to dating, dating is a precursor to marriage. 
and that requires you to grow up. It requires you to be mature. Marriage is not a childish thing because marriage is not for childish people. At least a faithful marriage that honors the Lord is not for people that are childish. It expects and demands much of you. Some of you are not mature or not as mature as you think, which is why you don't want to date or, you, or no one wants to date you. And you just have this humble realization that you need to grow up. I don't only mean in terms of like having a job or moving out of your parents' house. Those are maybe secondary things, but you need to know how to be mature in every area of your life. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. So when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. You know, back in the ancient Greek time, when a person gets to a certain age, they're supposed to throw away their childish things in the fire. So if you would imagine they had a toy that they liked, that they played, when it's time to be an adult, when Paul is saying that I, 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 got, I got rid of those things, that's what they did. They threw in the fire as a symbol saying, that time of my life is done away with. That I'm no longer going to act like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. I'm going to be an adult now. And this is what marriage expects of you. You need to be an adult. This is what, you know, you guys are, for most, I think, the youngest of you probably, well, Nicholas is like one, but, you know, most of you in the adult college and career, you know, you guys are all adults now. And there should be expectation for you to grow up. I know that, you know, we're, we're some of us like, in English, the culture tries to almost make you stay as a child forever. It's almost like the Peter Pan syndrome. We call that adolescence. Right? They don't want you to grow up. You can just continue to just rely on mommy and daddy. Don't find a job. Don't, don't move on with your life. And they, you know, the, I think this latest poll said that the, like, the average person getting married is in their 30s. Like, people don't want to grow up. They're just constantly stuck in the cycle of childishness. And marriage is truly for those that are mature and you need to be equipped to grow into that role. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have to be perfect, but I am saying that you at least should have a trajectory in your life. Because what does a, a mature or a grown-up looks like? Well, obviously, it's like they're not childish. right? It, it, it's, it's the way that you live and the way that you act, the way that you reason and the way that you think, the way that if, if all those things is no different than you were, let's say, a high schooler, if the way that they think, the way that they reason, the way that they act, is if you find yourself exactly the same as someone that's younger than you, then that's immaturity. Do you reason and think like a child? Do you center your life around you? Because that's how a child thinks. I mean, my, ch my two kids are, well, they were in the room, but you see how they act. They're generally self-focused. And as you grow up, especially if you want to go into the realm of dating and marriage, you're going to have to think beyond yourself. And I do want to give a word to the singles that here that aren't interested in dating altogether. So these are those unique individuals that the Bible speaks to have the gift of singleness. Now, does that mean that I could just check out for the next three or four months? The answer is no, uh, because you're learning this to help you give a better understanding and principle so you can help encourage others that may want to get married for that, to equip them as well. You know, eventually if you have the gift of singleness, there's going to be younger people in the faith that's going to have questions about dating and marriage, and you should be equipped to be able to teach them as well. This is what 
the scripture expects the older men to teach younger men and for older women to teach younger women. Eventually, you need to have the biblical principles and tools. So even though this is a, a dating series and you're a single person or you want to stay single for the rest of your life, that doesn't mean that you can't learn this and it can be helpful, not just for yourself, but for the church as a whole. Again, my hope is that you may be able to grow and help encourage and exhort other brothers and sisters that want to get married, even if you don't want to get married. All of us, whether single or dating, needs to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. And it may not, certain applications may not apply to you because the circumstances might not be it, but you still need to learn from God's word so you can grow in maturity. No one has truly arrived at the point of they're like absolutely mature. But as you grow in your knowledge and as you're equipped more and more by God's word, you will grow up to the, be the man and woman that God desires you to be. Fourth, to help you reestablish biblical standards and not worldly ideas about marriage or dating. One realm and one reason why um, we're going to actually go through this is because our world is so broken in terms of what gender and sexuality is. Um, they don't know the difference between a man and woman more because they think there's no such thing as that. But in the church, in the Christian worldview, we know those distinctions. We know that God has made male and female for that particular purpose, that the first marriage was God, God made it. It was not established by, by some sort of culture. You need to ground yourself in just basic biblical anthropology if you want to be in a marriage that is satisfying to you and honoring to the Lord. Contrary to what the, how the world defines marriage, it actually isn't, um, whatever they call marriage, what you see a lot of times is actually not marriage. Um, there was, I forgot which state exactly, but there's a state now that is so far beyond just the LGBTQ, but they're like, they're now going to polygamous marriages. They're saying, well, if it's all consensual, then why can't my, me and my wife marry that, that couple? Why can't we all just be one communal family? And if, do you even have in your mind as a Christian verses or, or things to, to refute to that type of thinking? The Bible does give answers. And that's why, in fact, just understand that polygamy is not new to the world. That's why in 1 Timothy, when it talks about the qualification of elders, it said this elder has to be a one-woman man. Because even back then, there are people that, uh, uh, that were godly, they were probably they had multiple wives, they got saved, and then they, they aspire for eldership, but that, did, that, that having multiple wives was what kept them from being an elder. In fact, this is not new. I, I know a pastor in Africa, he, had the, he has the same problem. There's polygamous marriage is normal in Africa, and there's some godly individuals after getting saved, they, they, can't, they don't qualify because they are not a one-woman man. But you need to understand what the Bible has to say in terms of just basic biblical anthropology. Marriage is defined by biblical standards. Another thing is just Christian conduct when it comes to dating. The world has strange ideas on how and what is appropriate in, a, in the realm of dating. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, tells us to abstain from every form of evil. So you know how sometimes people will think like, oh, how close can I get in terms of physical contact with the person I'm dating? That's the wrong kind of question. Um, in fact, there were even Christian celebrities and even churches now that hold to the view that as long as you guys are headed towards marriage, then it's okay for you to just move in together. 
You know, there are pastors and elders that encourage this type of thinking, and you have to understand that that is foolish. Although some people argue, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about cohabitation, but it does speak about being pure, abstaining from any form of evil, fleeing from temptation. We're going to flesh this out in a later message, but just know that the world, and sometimes even the church, are confused when it comes to the purity principle. Another thing that, uh, that we just need to think more clear about is, is about marriage. It's about this idea of redeeming marriage. The world tries to redefine marriage, and as Christians, we must always hold the line. And you have to understand that Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, that, that it has been like this at the beginning. It has to be man and a woman, that God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. And marriage is a reflection of God's design and purpose and order in the world. And in marriage in time, in a not-so-distant future, a heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman is going to be a, it's going to be an evangelistic tool for some people, and it'll, it'll also be an apologetic tool because it will offend people. I mean, there's a term now called super-heterosexual, meaning that if, I, if, if you were to date someone and you find out they're transgender then that's, and you don't want to date them, that's considered transphobic. So a super-heterosexual is only people that are biologically uh, whatever you are, and then the, you only date the people the opposite, and you're born the, uh, based on your biological sex. That's what this, how crazy the world has become. But we understand that this is just the way that God designed it. Marriage is, is a high calling because... This is how God expects marriage to be. It's to be a reflection of him in the church. Every faithful married couple in the church is in a sense redeeming the word marriage from the culture. When the, before, the, before it was called the LGBTQ, it used to be called just the, the gay community, uh, before they wanted that, that's the term marriage, they actually wanted um, just, they, they, actually didn't, they actually did not want the title of marriage because they said that marriage, the word, has too much religious connotations to it. Well, you know, this is what back then when people were debating about, well, if this is my partner and they're in a hospital and they're dying, why can't I visit them because I'm not family? And that was their argument. They, didn't, they only wanted the term marriage for legal reasons so that they can you know, make those hard decisions. They didn't want marriage for the sake of the way that you and I think of marriage. But obviously, if you give sin an inch, it'll take a mile. Nowadays, we've gone so far that you know you marry whoever you want. But they could redefine the term all they want, but ultimately, it's a sin against the Lord. And we as Christians, when we are faithful to the Lord in our dating and in our marriage, we're redeeming it from the culture. And also, I think lastly here, in this little section here, that's, is to clarify your identity. Uh, the last message I preached on, well, it wasn't one of the messages I preached on. I, I preached on the, the Christian identities in Christ. That it's it's not whether it's not oh I'm a single Christian or that I'm a married Christian. No, you're a Christian first. That is your main identity. Sadly, even in the churches, people seem to want to look down on those that are single. As like oh you well, you're so nice. Why aren't you married yet? Or you're like well how come you're not married? What's wrong with you? And yeah, and now you have to understand that that's. That's a very unhelpful thing to say. Um, it is, again, harmful. Uh, but just understand from the Bible, the Bible doesn't base your identity on your marital status. Um, I think it's sad that sometimes the church does that. And it inadvertently causes pressure and makes people feel like they've sinned somehow or they're inadequate. And I want to assure you that just because you're not married, that doesn't mean you're not complete in Christ. Um, you're not more of a Christian if you're single or if you're married. You are fully in Christ the moment you place your faith in him.
our fifth point is to remind you to live as you're called. And 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll probably go over this in one of, this, one of the messages down the line, but just for us to have like a little reference and kind of whet our appetite a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 7 actually tells us very clearly that there is one is actually better than the other. Um, singleness is actually better than marriage. It says here, uh, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried for, or else be reconciled to her husband, that the husband should not divorce his wife. And he's explaining more a little bit that there are the little parts about why, which area of divorce is okay, but then you know, if your non-believing spouse leaves you, it goes down there. But the point in 1 Corinthians 7 is that singleness is actually better. In the context of 1 Corinthians, it was not easy to be a Christian, and they were persecuted relentlessly. And being a married person, you're going to have to think about someone else. And married with children, you've got to think about more people. And back then, it, when Paul, the reason why Paul wrote this was because there were some people, out of just the pressures of the, from, the, from dealing with persecution and pressure from the home, they want to go back to their singleness. And Paul's saying, no, remain as you are. Stay in your marriage state. You've been called to that, and you have to stay, stay that way. At the same time, if you're single, there's a sense in which you have less of a burden in a time of persecution. It's better for you to do more ministry, but it's also just easier in your life that you don't have to worry about different things, specifically taking care of your family, because it's easier in a time of persecution to be single than married. But wherever you are, whether you're single or you're married, you're called to live the way that as you're called. Now there is a balance here. Singleness is, is, is better, as it says in 1 Corinthians 7, but there's also, it also tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that but if you do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. You can write this down if you like. But Proverbs 18, 22. It reads, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. So how do you have this balance where he's like, okay, uh, singleness is better, and, but yet I, am, I burn with a passion, and therefore I want to get married. How do I balance the two? Well, it's just, first Corinthians, the principle is this. If you burn, and meaning that you have a desire for marriage, you don't have the gift of singleness, and that means you actually need to actively pursue marriage. You need to think about ways in which... Um, how to think of biblically in pursuing someone. In fact, the Proverbs 18, 20, 22 passage, he who finds, the word find here, it's is, is, is a characteristic. He's not someone just passively sitting on the couch and just grumbling and wondering, how come people don't want to date me? They actually have to go out and pursue someone. In this case, a husband to fool to find a wife. It's just not sitting there and waiting, but you have to be in active pursuit. And when you find someone, while in your pursuit, you're supposed to trust in the sovereignty of God, and whatever the outcome would be, uh, you thank the Lord. But if the Lord gives you a spouse, you have found obtained favor from the Lord. Again, the series is not for us to make dating or marriage greater than singleness, because the Bible already answers that question: that singleness is better than dating, but or marriage. But if you want to pursue marriage, you, there, you have to go and do something about it. It's not something that you just sit back and then hope that it happens to you. 
this series then is to remind you to live as you're called. If you believe you're called to live a life of singleness, then do it for the glory of God. If you're called to pursue marriage, then pursue a spouse in a way that's honoring to the Lord for the glory of God. In both circumstances, you're called to live, live as you're called. Number six, to know what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. We will speak on a topic of dating methods. That might be one of the latter messages about what are the dating methods? What are the techniques? How do I ask someone out? But I'm going to just spoil this right away. But you won't find, the Bible doesn't tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. It doesn't give you 15 steps. on if you do all of these steps, then guarantee you'll find a spouse. In fact, Proverbs chapter 30 Verse 6 warns that if you try to force some sort of dating philosophy from the text that you're adding to Scripture. And that's what Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, do not add to his word or he, God, will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. You know, sometimes people hold to a certain view. And I understand if it's just your view and you want to keep it to yourself, that's fine. That's called, that's just self-control or or, um, self-discipline. That's a conviction. That's totally fine. But the, it gets very dangerous when you start saying that my view is the only way of dating. Um, and I've said it earlier, don't be a cult about it. Don't be Mormon about this. You know, we always rip on the Mormons for adding to scripture, but sometimes we can do that too, especially in the realm of dating. We hold to a certain view and we want other people to have it. Um, Austin Duncan once said that, if here's a test to see if your dating philosophy is biblical. Uh, if, you, if they could transcend the culture that you're in, the, the zip code that you're in, the country that you're in, the time that you're in, and the, and the nation, everything. You just, if, it, if there's some sort of structure that can go wherever and to all of church history, then that's how you know it's a biblical command. If it's only regulated to your region and your neighborhood, then it's probably just your own preference. And just by example, um, Martin Luther, you guys know who he is, the guy that wrote the 95 Thesis. Do you guys know how he found his wife or how he got married? So he... You know, he, you know, he and a whole bunch of monks and nuns like left the Catholic Church, and uh, he hated the Pope's understanding of marriage and celibacy so much. He's like, okay, the Bible speaks highly of marriage, and we should just—I should just marry you guys off. He did just that. He lined up all the nuns on one side and all of the monks on the other side. He married them all off, like, one by one. It's like you're married, you're married, go, you're married, go. And then there's—it was an odd number, and it was his wife. And her name Catherine's like, oh, I guess you're the only one left, and I'm the only one left. Let's let's get married, and that's how they got married. Um, John MacArthur tried to do that once. I remember at a night church, uh, I was sitting with one of my friends, and MacArthur was—I think he was just being funny, but he's like, I just wish you these single people are so great. I wish I could just put all the males on one side, all the females on one side, and just marry you off. And my my friend, he was just sitting there, and he went like this, and then I looked at him like. Did you just try to stand up? He's like, no, man, no, no, I'm not, I wasn't standing. I'm just stretching my legs. Like, you try, you actually think he was asking you to go up there? And you know, he wasn't. He was just saying it, but he really thought that, like, okay, okay, MacArthur's gonna solve my dating issues. But even for him, the way that he found his spouse, he was a Bible study leader and his wife was engaged. And I think if I remember correctly, he was driving her home and then she was having doubts about this guy, and MacArthur said, You should just leave him and date me, and then she does just that. Um, from her side of the story, she, she was already having doubts, and it took him a while before she actually fell in love with MacArthur. But, you know, and then if you ask, I mean, we listened to Bill and Kathy's testimony, it was different. You ask your parents, or ask your friends' parents, they're all going to be different. And that's just the way it is. It's, it's just how God providentially brings people together. There is no one size that fits all. 
every couple did dating differently and there are pros and cons to any and every method. Um, but if you're forced, if it's, again, if it's forced upon, if you're trying to force your dating philosophy upon other people, that's crossing the line. If you have certain preferences on your own, that's totally fine. Some people think that your parents need to be really involved and some people think no parents don't ha shouldn't have that much involvement. Um, you know, and we're going to have to, we're actually going to talk about that. What is the role of the parent when it comes to dating? Something must be courtship. I had someone that got mad at my friend for going to coffee because they said, what do you mean? You only went one-on-one -on -one with them at night to Starbucks. That is sinful because they're, you know, they're drawing all these weird biblical principles and applying it in their, in their life. But is it wrong to go have coffee with someone? Well, if you're sensitive to that, that would be wrong. But for other people, it may not be. So in other words, there's no one size fits all, and don't add things to scripture where that is not there. If the Bible is silent about it, then so should you. Focus on the areas that the Bible does speak of, the biblical principles and commandments, and be willing to be flexible with your own preferences. Number seven, why are we going through this dating series? To give you some pointers. Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and also tells us that if you want wisdom, you need to seek it. You need to seek out, seek it out. You need to actually look for wisdom. If you want to learn about dating, then you want to learn from those that have gone before you. You know, in our fellowship group, we have married people, we have grandparents, uh, we have different life stages, and that's designed so that you can go to other people. Now, I'm going to be very honest with, with you. When you talk to your peers about this, and my peers, I mean people that are not married, that's actually just an opinion, not wisdom. If you ask your peers, like, hey, what, how should I date this person? They give you what sounds like wisdom, that's actually just an opinion because they don't really know what they're talking about. At least not, not it's just experience, it's, it's more of just like a theory as opposed to experiential knowledge. Now we, I can speak to you in terms of like a sense of like, okay, there are principles and there are things that I did and there are things I wish I didn't do that you should not go and do likewise. Every couple has those type of things, but you should want to learn and, and even like telling someone that's further along can give you a sense of objectivity they can tell you, okay, that's just, it's just weird. Why would you act like that? Why would you do this? Why would you do that? Or even if they don't understand, at least they can hear you out and just maybe have you clarify in your own mind if this is a, a right thing to do or not. Again, every dating, every marriage, every engagement is unique. And you can ask multiple couples and you'll have multiple answers. But yet, even though in, the, in all the differences, there are things that are similar. There, and I've said this before, every married couple, the only, really the thing that you think about is, is the other person saved? Is the other person single, meaning they're not married? Is the other person the opposite gender? And if that person likes you? Those are really the four general principles. Everything else, it's just kind of up in the air. Um, but the little details is going to be different. How you go about this, that, yeah, it's going to be different. But generally, at least those four has to be there. This series is, again, to give you pointers to questions like this. What kind of questions should I ask on a first date? How should I ask someone out? How should I say no to someone? How do I handle rejection? How do I know if I'm ready to date? How do I know if this person is the one? These are the questions that will be fleshed out throughout this series. And however you apply these biblical principles will look different in your life. And again, we're just trying to give you biblical boundaries so that you can operate freely to give God glory and even joy in your own life. Eight, to help you guard, to help you guard your unity in Christ in the context of the church. 
in most circumstances, uh, you are first and foremost brothers and sisters in the faith before you are a husband and wife in the faith. Not every friendship is going to end in being a dating couple, and not every dating couple is going to end in marriage. If we believe that the centrality of all the things that we do, including our dating relationship, is to glorify the Lord, then that means that Christ is the center. If Christ is the center, you need to learn how to guard yourself from wanting to cause strife from those who don't want to date you. This is the Philippians chapter 4. When Paul was speaking to those two ladies that were arguing with each other, he wants to stop, those, uh, stop that disunity. He wants them to be united again. Many have tried to divide fellowship groups or even churches because their relationships didn't work out. I remember there was a guy in this particular fellowship that I was in when I was in college. Uh, he was dating someone, and then that didn't work out, and he was really bitter. Uh, so bitter that he, you know, he was a small group leader, she was a small group leader, that he tried to get her, basically to get her not be a small group leader anymore. She, he tried to convince everyone that she's not godly. It's like, oh, this girl is God. And he was like going in like behind your back, telling some of the elders, telling some of the guys in his small group, telling everyone like, hey, she is evil. Why is she a small group leader? And then eventually one of the elders checked him like, you know, you're only saying this because she dumped you. These things will not be, you will not say any of these things like a week ago. And that's true. Some guys are, are because of just their pain, they think vengeance is what it takes to just make things all right. But yet Romans 12 tells us that vengeance belongs to the Lord and that we shouldn't be slandering other people. And ladies, do the, uh, you know, some ladies do, do the same thing too. They, they go out with a guy and then the guy it's kind of, you know, it wasn't as mature or godly, and then they ended up, you know, they have an awkward breakup, and then she starts telling other ladies, hey, you, maybe you shouldn't date this guy because this guy is not godly. I used to date him. He was a horrible person. But you have to understand that God can actually mature the person when in your absence. Um, whatever the case, and what, these are just examples. I'm not saying these are what's going on here. I'm just saying that these are just general examples of how people can break unity in a church because of some sort of bad encounter or experience. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Whether it be the relationship doesn't work out or the preference or dating methods, whatever it may be, what matters more than how you date or who you date or that relationship work out is that there's unity in Christ. Number nine, why are we going to do this dating series? To check your expectations, to check your own expectations. By expectations, I want to define as this. It's a set of ideas and hopes that you have about a person or relationship that is often not realistic. Oftentimes, people who struggle with singleness, they struggle because they have a crazy expectation when it comes to dating or marriage that goes beyond the parameters of what the Bible teaches. Uh, one example uh, will be that if someone, some people think that God must give them a spouse because you, know, you prayed about it. Like, I prayed God will give me a spouse, and, and they, God didn't give me a spouse, therefore God's not true, and they get all upset. That's like a wrong expectation of being a Christian. You're not a bride of Christ so that you can find a spouse in this life. You, you're here as a Christian because you want to worship the Lord, to learn more about him, to sing praises to him. But it's not because you could get your life better because of it. Another false expectation is that you need to remember that dating is not going to give you 
lasting satisfaction. Dating isn't going to give you lasting satisfaction. Some people think that if I just get, if I just start dating, my, my, my struggles with discontentment will be done away with. And you might think that, oh, if I'm, as long as I've, and when you guys are dating, if I was only married, then life would be perfect. Um, you may think that once you have or in a relationship, um, that life will be perfect, but you have to understand that that isn't the case. That type of expectation will not be met because you aren't, you and I are not built to delight in anyone outside of God. We're all built to love God and to worship it and to delight in him and him alone. A spouse, it's just a mean, it's just a small a way in which the Lord blesses us, but that's, but you can be joyful and live a full life being a single person. If you think that marriage is going to make you complete, you are not understanding your own salvation right. Marriage is a grace, but it's not the greatest grace in our life because only our relationship with God is that greatest grace. Last false expectation is that there is a Mr. and Mrs. Perfect in your own, in your own mind. Uh, sometimes people are single because they have these preferences that are just so overwhelming that you're essentially either you basically just want to date Jesus. Um, but you know that's like the godly type of standard. No one's ever going to be perfectly godly in that sense. And that yes, it's good that you aspire to find someone that's Christ-like, but no one is perfect. Or some people might think, oh, I want someone that has this a certain appearance or certain personality or. And if you just have those things, then you're going to be completely content. This series, again, is hope to give you a better understanding of why we date, which is ultimately to glorify God, not for your own pleasures. Sometimes people have all these preferences because there's really, it's pride. I think I deserve someone that is like this. Therefore, I will not date anyone that does not meet the standard. Now, if you understand your own shortcomings, you understand that God is gracious, <clears throat> that God is gracious to you and that he's so gracious that he was willing to love you in, despite your own imperfections. Rick Holland, the college pastor, he's, he used to be my college pastor before Austin came along, but he had this perfect saying, I think, it's a, he said this way, that discontent singles make discontent spouses. Discontent singles make discontent spouses. If you think marriage is gonna solve your discontentment, just wait. Eventually, your spouse if you're discontent, you're going to wonder, oh, did I marry the wrong person? That's the struggle if you're, if, you're, if you're struggling with discontentment as a single person. Rather, you need to have the right expectation of what a true biblical marriage looks like. Why are we going through series number 10? Uh, so that you can be honest with yourself to the Lord. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 8. This is the context where about prayer. And this should be familiar to us. He's first, Jesus is confronting these false gentile, these false godly people who just kind of pray repetitious prayers and that you know they think they're godly because of their many words. But in, in verse 8 of chapter 6, it says, So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you want to ask and be transparent to the Lord. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 reads, if, if this again, speaking about um, the Lord blessing his children. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You know, it's, sometimes it surprises me that 
that when, you know, when, when people are struggling with dating, like I asked them, you know, have you prayed about this? Have you asked the Lord? Have you even, have you, you know, the stuff you're telling me, did you talk to the Lord about it? And it's surprisingly so that people don't go to the Lord. You know, the Lord knows what you want. The Lord even knows your struggles. So that means that you want to be transparent, open to him about your struggles with singleness and even the discontentment and everything that's going on in your life. Remember that sermon I preached in Psalm about how the Lord keep, you know, catches your tears in a bottle. He knows your pain, and he wants you to go to him so that he can give you the grace to be content and to be thankful. God will never, God knows that you're single and God has placed you in your singleness at this present time and God will give you the grace to be able to overcome whatever your struggles are in your own heart. This will be something that you have to ask the Lord daily to give you joy and it's a struggle through singleness and the Lord will give you this, he will not place you in a state of singleness without giving you the grace to overcome life with fullness and with joy. At the same time, God is the giver of all good gifts. So whether that be singleness or marriage, both gifts are from the Lord. So, you know, I said the gift of singleness. Some of you guys are not going to get married. And are you okay with that? Because that's the Lord's lot for you. The Lord doesn't want you to get married. And you have to understand that that is a good gift from our good God. Some of you are going to get married, but don't think, oh, ha, 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 I'm so godly, that's why I got married. No, God has given you that marriage, and you need to be thankful to him for you need to be thankful to the gift giver and not be prideful of the gift that he's given you. 11, to help you check your preferences. Why, do we, why are we going through this series? To help you check your preferences. One of the biggest issues and why people don't date again is because some of the things that they want is not from God. Uh, one of the biggest issues and why people don't date is because they make it about themselves and not the Lord. And what do I mean by that? Again, I made this reference before that some of the people have these preferences that are so extreme that it keeps them from ever moving forward in any meaningful way. Uh, this means that for some of you, if you were to be honest with yourself, that you will, you will find that you are single because of your own doing. Some of you are not, you know, you're godly people and your people just haven't given you the opportunity, but some of you are in that category where you just have such high standards that you, it's just no one can meet you, that expectation. And then you grumble, why isn't anyone saying yes to me when I ask them out? Or why doesn't anyone ask me out? When in reality, you have these crazy standards that no one can meet. These preferences. Your preferences are actually a hindrance for you from ever considering those that the Lord has provided for you. Ladies, you may think that the people around you aren't making you feel good, or um, so you don't want to date any of them. Or you might think, I don't want to date this guy because he isn't the guy that I like. I don't like this quality about him. I see this one glaring flaw and that's too much. I can't, over, I can't love him because of this one problem that he has. Some of those things that you may uh, not like aren't necessarily biblical. They just aren't what you expect or hope for. And again, you know, ladies, when I say, oh, God, I wish a guy was more charming or funny, and this guy, the people around me, the Lord has blessed me with my brothers, that they're not funny. I need them to be more funny. You know, those things are preferences because that's not going to keep your marriage. At the same time, guys could do exactly the same thing. I don't want to date this girl because she isn't what I want. She isn't as charming. She isn't as good looking. Or I, would, I don't want to ask her out because whatever, fill in the blank. And usually the core of these type of preferences is that you want something that those around you cannot provide for you, or they haven't hit your standard on what you want in the marriage. 
at the same time, we're called to be holy like our God is holy. That means that our love for others must be the way that God loves, which means that a lot of your preferences, if you understand how much God is willing to love you, that God doesn't have a list of preferences on who he saves and redeems, you would realize that your love for people is very imperfect. And if, the, if you get that, then a lot of your, your preferences might go out the window, or at least you keep it in check. You hold it with a loose grip. Again, I'm not saying you can't have preferences. I'm just saying that if you ask any married couple what keeps their marriage, what keeps their marriage alive, it is not their preferences. Bill and Kathy is not here. I know they're listening, so sorry, Bill and Kathy, I'm gonna use you for, as an illustration. You know, when Bill and Kathy was here, when you heard what they, what drew them to each other, it was their love for the Lord, right? Imagine if Kathy said something totally different. Imagine if Kathy said, like, oh, I have this preference that, like, the guy that I want has to have magnificent hair. Like, it has to have, like, Samson-like curls. And then Bill, when his younger day, if you see a picture, if he actually had those kind of Samson-like curls, and Kathy was like, oh my goodness, he's the one, that's my preference, I'm gonna marry this guy. You know how history played out. He did not, you know, obviously start losing his hair. Now, does that mean that their relationship is now going to go under? Is her, if, her if her entire standard of marriage is based on nice hair, then yes, the relationship is doomed. It's the same for you. Your preferences, if you were to stand back and look at, is not going to be the thing that keeps your marriage intact. We sometimes would like to elevate our preferences higher than it really needs to be. In other words, for some of you, your preferences morphed from just being a preference to being a necessity, all the way to it being an idol. It can be anything. It could be money, looks, personality, sense of humor, whatever. Preferences aren't wrong, but just know that for some of you, your preferences are holding you back from being in a godly relationship. I'm just saying, and again, I, I'm just saying that, and I'm not saying don't have preference, I'm just saying be more critical and hold critical in your preferences and hold it with a loose grip. And ask yourself, is this something that is really necessary in a godly marriage? Because, of, because some of these things that are centered around your own wants and desire are not centered around what actually will be pleasing to the Lord and what makes a God-honoring marriage. Point number 12, why are we going through this dating series? To help you pursue and have godly character. This is almost the opposite of the last point. The last point is like, oh, you know, to kind of deny your, uh, be willing to deny your preferences. This one is almost the opposite of that. Instead of looking for a spouse based on shallow attributes, pursue godly attributes. You are what you pursue. Shallow people pursue shallow things. Godly pe people pursue godly character. Is it wrong to have preferences? Again, no but have realistic expectation because those preferences won't make a marriage last. Marriage is less about what you're looking for, but more about what you need to be. You know, Proverbs 31 is like the verse that guys usually look at when they use a standard against ladies, and Proverbs 31 is also the passage that ladies will look at to what they want to become. But it's so interesting then the way that the Old Testament and the Jewish uh, you know, canon, they put Ruth right after Proverbs 31. You know, Prophet was like, uh, oh, this, 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 this godly wife, who can find such a wife? And he lists of all of these great things. And the only example right after that, this is the way the Jewish think they want to put in thematics, is Ruth. And if, if you understand who Ruth is, don't think of her the way that the Bible story portrays her, always like pretty and stuff and like perfect. Um, she was a Moabite. 
meaning that her descent, she's a descendant of incest. You know, she was, when you hear the name Moabite in the Jewish sense, it was very offensive and horrifying. They're like, oh man, I cannot believe that descendant of our Messiah is from this Moabite. You know, she was married for 10 years before she met Boaz. You know, would that be you? If you knew someone in the church that was married for, to someone else for 10 years, but they have godly character, and all of the Proverbs 31 has, uh, portrays, would you date this person? Most of us already have the same, like, no, I'm not going to date that, but this is exactly what Proverbs 31 tells us. Like, this is, these are the standards of Proverbs 1, and the example, exhibit A is Ruth. You know, it's not what we think a, mer- a godly person is. We have these standards that this person that we date has to be like, un- unblemished and has to be perfect. But that's not the case. It also means that if you're a guy, you have to have a, you have to have standards, yes, but those standards must be godly standards and not necessarily your own preference. Godly character matters more than your own preference. You want to be a godly spouse, and you want to choose a godly spouse. So when you think about dating series, don't think about necessarily, oh, here's tactics that I want you to get who I want. Rather think, how can I be more godly so that whoever I date that would magnify God's goodness and grace. That would show the world that God is a good God. 13, remind yourself that your life is not your own. 13, remind yourself that this whole dating series is to help you remember that your life is not your own. If you realize that your life belongs to the Lord, then you will view dating not as a way to quench your own desires, but you will try to look for marriage that will bring God the highest glory and honor. If you seek to honor God, then your prayers for a spouse will be radically different. Or at least it will help you in terms of uh, figuring out, it'll at least it'll help you with your loneliness or getting what you want and direct it towards more about glorifying the Lord. Your prayers won't be about, Lord, help me with my singleness, and then amen. You'll think about, Lord, in my singleness, how can I honor you? How can I grow in uh, Christ-likeness? Or if I pursue someone, how can I do it in such a way that is pleasing and honoring to you and serve that other person? In my dating, how can I help and encourage that person to be more like you? Because that's going to be something that is way more desirable in the long run than just your personality and your looks. You would ask God to give you discernment so that God's will will be fulfilled and his kingdom will be built rather than your own kingdom and desires. If you go into dating and marriage thinking it's all about you, prepare for a world of hurt and conflict. As a Christian, you know that you, your life isn't your own. All of our lives is, is mainly to, to glorify God. We love God and we love other people. For example, if you realize that God didn't die for you because of how pretty you looked or how handsome you are, how much money you made, or even the opposite, negative. God didn't stop loving you because of your shortcomings, that he loved you despite your shortcomings. You will love differently because you understand God's love for us and for other people looks radically different. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
this verse and every attribute about how God is willing to love those that are unlovely should humble us because that's not how we love. God loved us even though we did not deserve it. How much should we love or at least give a chance to those that we don't think deserve our time and affections? I'm just going to be honest. Some of you are very godly people. You pursue Jesus. And some of you are blinded to the fact that that person near you is actually someone that would give you, put you in a, if you're married to the person, that you actually find a lot of joy in Christ because of these preferences and selfishness that sometimes keeps us away because you don't love the way that Christ loves. Now, am I saying that every girl should say yes to a guy or every guy should ask every girl? I don't know. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say, at least, is that when you think about how great God's love is for you, then you will be more gracious in the way that you pursue someone. So if you're a guy and there's a sister that may not have everything that you want or even in your mind you think that that person doesn't deserve my time, understanding God's love and grace towards you should at least give you the level of grace and kindness when you are with that sister. So you may not date that person, but at least you love them in a, with, in a, with a pure heart. And the same thing, if you're a lady here and if a guy asks you out, you should at least in your mind consider how gracious God is towards you so that you should be gracious and kind towards that other person as well in the way whether you choose to date them or not. The point is that our love is not nearly as close as how God loves us or that we are not nearly as gracious and kind as God is towards us, which should give us a level of humility both in our pursuit and our response to dating. Again, our love is not what we're... It's not up to a level where God is, and we're called to be like our Heavenly Father. Again, it's not an easy thing to do because we're naturally lovers of self. This is why Jesus tells us that we need to love others the way that we would love ourselves. Our love needs to be reoriented so that our love would look like how Christ loves. And when we reorient our love to match the way Christ loved, this is how God is glorified in our pursuits, in our dating, in our marriage, wherever. Fourteenth, we're almost done, guys, almost done. <laughs> Fourteenth, why are we going there to, pre to prepare you for marriage? If you're not ready to be married, then you're not ready to date. That means that this series is really for you to equip yourself, but you're not ready to marry, and that's okay. Uh, for some of you, you need to work on certain areas because how you live now will not automatically change just because you're married. Um, you need, and again, this is not to say that you have, you have to be perfect in every single way. There just has to be some momentum towards uh, marriage or at least having the mindset of marriage. I remember when I was engaged, my friends came up to me and was like, are you ready to be a dad? I was like, what? I haven't even been married yet. I was like, what do you mean be a dad? And he said, you never know. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes if you guys get married and then you guys have a child within nine months after you know, the honeymoon or whatever, honeymoon or whatever you, you might have a kid. Are you ready to be a parent? And that freaked me out. I was like, yeah, am I, am I ready to be a parent? If, if the Lord opens womb and I, um, you know, I have to keep this child. So yeah, and, then, and it just changed my thought. Like, okay, I need to think forward now. More than just immediate marriage, I need to think beyond that. In the same way, when you're dating, you want to think beyond dating. Dating is just a means to an end, and that end is marriage. And marriage is a lifelong thing. You don't want to think, oh, how can I be a cool boyfriend or cool girlfriend? You got to think these, you got to work in your life and have godly character so it goes beyond dating. It goes into marriage. This series is trying to get you to think beyond your first date and even beyond the, the wedding altar. 
You need to think on how you can prepare for a lifelong marriage. Again, this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect before dating or even marriage, but at least you're on the right trajectory so you can be ready for marriage. But you need to know, you need to be at least on the path and walking towards that. If you truly want to pursue marriage, at least walk towards the character and do whatever it takes so you can be the godly husband or godly wife. Number 15, dating is awkward. <laughs> Why are we going through this? Because, because dating is awkward. Yes, it is awkward. Um, and I do want to just give a caution and a warning. Uh, after going through the series, and this happened when I was at Grace, after we went through a dating series, there was this weird type of atmosphere where people thought that, like, okay, I got through all 20-something sermons. Now I am ready. And then they have this false expectation that they will automatically find a spouse because they went through those 20 sermons. And that's not true. And that's the same here. Just because you go, that's just because we're going through this whole series, this book, and everything else, that doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to be 100% ready for marriage. Um, this is just something that you just equip you so that you at least be on the right track for it. Um, by the end of this, you're, you're not going to, there's no guarantee that you'll find a spouse. Some of you might get married before this whole series is over. Shout out to some of you. <laughs> but uh, others, you might not. You know, it's okay. Uh, you're not good, you may not necessarily find a spouse just because you go through a dating series. And uh, another thing is this, is that just because you go through this series doesn't mean that you're automatically some sort of dating guru. I'm not that. I'm just trying to draw biblical principles. But I understand that just because you go through this series, you know, don't be like a cult-like again. It's like, okay, so it has to be this certain way. It's, it's not. Just, again, that's what I'm trying to draw the line between what is my opinion versus what the Bible has to say. Because you want to hold on to what the Bible has to say. And whatever is my opinion, you can decide for yourself on whether or not it's helpful for you. And then that last thing, is also, again, this is a warning about the series after it, is that you, just because you go through this whole, that's because we're all going to go through this series together. It doesn't guarantee that just because you listen to these sermons that you're automatically going to be godly by the end of this. Sitting through this is easy. Applying it into your daily life is hard. There's going to be biblical principles here that's going to just challenge you to think beyond uh, what you normally think about dating and marriage. And I hope that that at least challenges you so that you can pursue godliness. It's not guaranteed that just because you listen to it that you're after this, you're, okay, I'm sanctified and I'm like close to glory. Um, no, uh, because you can listen to all the sermons and not apply it. Faith without works is dead. And you need to be able to actually do the things that are biblical principles and be discerning on the, just the preferences that either myself or whoever is speaking, whatever preference they have, just to be able to take those things as a, as a grain of salt. But whatever biblical principles or even commands, you actually need to apply those things if you want to be a mature Christian. Okay, uh, that's it for us. Um, I look forward to it. I, let me just give you a quick rundown, I guess, in terms of the series that we're going to go um, this is going to go from basically August all the way to Thanksgiving. So next week, we're going to talk about biblical anthropology. And that's really like a fundamental thing before we talk about dating. Like, what is it, what does it mean to be a man and a woman in a world like this? Because again, you need to at least understand that God has made man and wife. And therefore, what does that mean? And we, you need to at least ground yourself in that because the world is going to attack you in your understanding of what man and woman should be. On August 13th, the week after that, we're going to talk about singleness. Um, 
is going to be the passage. First Corinthians 7, we'll just talk more about that. Uh, the one after that is going to be, should I date a non-Christian? Um, that's a topic that I think, if there's one thing that I see the greatest reason why people leave the faith, it is that. I, I've never seen, I've, I've seen people try to reason themselves out of it after, after out of the faith after they start pursuing non-Christians. And that's usually the case, like compromise eventually leads to apostasy. But it is something that's unfortunate that even in the church, some people think it's okay to date non-Christians. And I wanna be able to tell you biblically why that's not a good idea. Um, the week after that is about biblical friendships. So just how do you interact with one another? Uh, then after that, it's gonna be on rejection, how to say no to someone and how to take a hit uh, I think that's helpful. And that book here actually is helpful on that because I, I just read through that portion. It, it does speak a lot about in terms of speaking the truth in love. And I think sometimes when we ask someone out, it's like weird. And then sometimes we reject, when some people reject people, it's also weird. And it is weird, but it doesn't have to be harmful. So this is what I mean by that in terms of rejection. Uh, and the, the message after that is going to be on first date. What does the first, how should it look like? You know, what does it, uh, what does it entail? Uh, then we talk, we're going to talk about parents. How are the parents involved? What, how much to, you know, whatever degree. The week after that, we'll talk about breakups because not, not all dating ends in marriage. Unfortunately, that's just the reality. Is there a way in which you can break up without destroying the church? That's kind of what the topic is going to be. The week after that, is purity. Then guarding your heart. It means like, should I, how should I think about people? Um, the week after that is like if you're in a dating relationship where you're single, what happens if you fail sexually? And this is really a two-part between failing sexually and a call for purity. And after that is going to be how do I know if I'm ready to date? Like what are the standards and criteria that I need to know in terms of how or you know, am I should I start dating someone? And after that will be the, the godly man, what a man should be, and then the week after that the man, what the woman should be, and then the last. I intentionally leave this last because I figured that's one that everyone wants to know about in terms of dating methods. What are the methods in which people, like, what am I supposed to do kind of thing? That's the most, I think, practical. And I want to leave it to the end because usually if I, if I put that in the front, people are just going to listen to that and then do weird stuff before the series is over. But I'd rather equip you so that at least before you think about that and, and how to go about things, you at least have some biblical principles and guidelines to know how to think clearly. I'm looking forward to these several months with you in this series and you going through this book. If you have, you want to read this book, feel free to purchase it. I've, I'm like halfway through. It's not that long to me. Um, every chapter about like you know two or three pages. Um, it's really short, but it does have a lot of you know, truth bombs in there so that you can at least chew on it and think about it. And then if you want to talk to me, if you're a guy, you want to talk to me about it, feel free. Um, we can chat. Uh, and I'm sure some of the ladies, there's other ladies I've read this book too. Um, you can talk with them as well. Okay, well, that's it for our intro. Let me close our time in prayer. Lord God, we're thankful for your word that it does have everything to pertain to life of godliness. And Lord, this topic itself can be very uncomfortable, and it does call us to be discerning and wise. And Lord, that is what we want. We want to be able to grow up and be more like the man and woman that you want us to be. And Lord, guard our hearts from false expectations, guard our hearts from sin, and guard our hearts from 
things that will make us love you less, Lord. May we continue to be humble in this series, that we realize there's much to learn and that we haven't arrived, and that as we go through the series, teach us how we can um, live in such a way that is pleasing and honoring to you. Thank you for this time and this talk that we have in your son's precious name. Amen.